Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. So today our guest is Adapia DeRico, and she is going to talk about intuition and paying attention to our authentic self. Her book is titled Productive Intuition, Connecting to the Subtle, and I really like that title because often our intuition and our authentic self can be very subtle and can be difficult to pay attention to, especially if we've struggled with trauma and hardship. I loved my conversation with Adapia. She is really passionate about her work and about sharing her story and sharing her wisdom. I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Addicted Mind. My guest today is Adapiga DeRico. And we are going to talk about intuition and and your book, Productive Intuition. But first... I'd love to kind of hear your story and how this all evolved. Yeah, thanks so much, Dwayne. Such a pleasure to be here. When we were kind of speaking pre-recording, I was saying that, you know, this book and even me being here and talking about it has so much to do with a time in my life, one of many, but especially poignant time in my life where I was so completely lost, where I essentially went through what a lot of people would call a spiritual crisis. It was burnout. It was this time in my life where the person that I thought I was successfully, like especially around career, I've always been like really career driven. I'm going to get things done. I'm going to be ambitious. I want to like do things in the world. I want to be a human doing instead of a human being. Right. And, right, right. And like, Everything that I knew how to do was not working. And I completely lost my marbles because 
I was like, I can't be effective. I can't make money. I can't do anything. And then I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't have anybody to talk to because I sounded in my own head like a crazy person. How do I, how do I explain to people that this, like basically at that point, this 20 year career that I had worked so hard to build up, I basically walked away from it with this idea that I was going to do some purposeful work and I was going to, you know, I was going to make really meaningful, more meaningful than what I was doing. So I was prejudging myself before even going into something, into something new. And instead what life or the universe or God delivered to me was just failure. And, and then my whole identity kind of like fell apart. And in that process, so this was back in 2017 and like in that process, what I had to actually do, it wasn't failure. It was a different door I had to go through to get clarity and to really trust myself. The, the book really comes out of the, the last few years of me getting that clarity and discovering how intuitive I am and how intuitive we all are and how to use it, not just like accidentally use it, right? Like we all have intuition and we'll sometimes we'll use it and we're like, oh, that worked, but we don't understand it. And then, then other times we don't listen to it and we're like, well, damn, I should have listened to it. How do I right. find it? And intuition is, you know, if, if we've come from trauma or we've had hardship, especially maybe early childhood trauma or something, that listening to intuition can be difficult or in some ways doesn't even seem like it's there. Oh, so much. Oh, so much. Because especially, and we've all had different levels and types of trauma, right? I mean, to me, in a way, what makes us all, what connects all of us as humans is trauma. Because we've all had it, even the conditioning and the stories that that we grow up being told about who we should be and how to please and all, that's essentially traumatic, right? I mean, that's essentially saying, go into this box or this cage of thought and being and be that. And in reality, really the the liberation, if you will, comes from sort of opening that door and walking through it. And it's so much easier said than done. I mean, it's constant. Like I'm constantly, even today, working through the stories that actually my mind was addicted to to certain stories about who I am, about how the world is, about how other people are. And if I listen to those stories, which is usually the default, I'm going to get the same results. Whereas if I try a slightly different approach of saying, what's my inner knowing, and I call it inner authority, you can call it soul. I mean, really, it doesn't matter what you call it, but it's a place. And it's actually like a, almost like a feeling that you just know you're not believing something. You're not listening to a voice. It's not a voice. It's a knowing. And that is inherently tied to intuition. That's your intuitive space. And that's the space where we can learn to trust ourselves and not seek answers outside of ourselves. And that's how we kind of get over the stories from the trauma by coming back inside. By, by being able to come back into ourselves and really listen to our gut, I would love to hear how that journey evolved for you 
from going to looking to the outside for your answers to being able to trust your gut. Because I think a lot of people who are listening to the podcast, that's hard to do. Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> it's like the work of our lives. And, yes. and I'll say it this way too. There's not like just one way. And so, for example, when I wrote the book, I explained how we're neurologically, biologically hardwired for intuition. And I, there's a lot of science and a lot of research in there because it's really it's it's super important to get the left brain on board to really understand instead of blindly believing because blind right. belief isn't going to get us anywhere. But if there's something that you're reading or, or learning from somebody and it clicks, that's really important. And the truth about intuition and about how we get into it, it's not a linear path. Like it's going to be through the body. So I talk about the body. It's going to be through the heart. And there's some incredible science about the heart and the vibrations, the electromagnetic vibration of the heart, our emotions you know, our mind, our brain, there's all these different mechanisms inside of us that are ways of moving inward instead of outward. So a lot of it is noticing. And to me, one of the most powerful ways of understanding our intuition, because it's kind of hard to say, go within. It's like, oh, what does that mean? Go within. Right, um, right. Yeah. Like, okay, I'll go within. Yeah, Great. okay. Like, how do I do that? I, I'm here, right? And you're like, I'm already here. But but most of the time we're thinking about something else. So meditation is a pretty big one. Lot A lot of research around that. Another one is noticing. It's like noticing what we do on a daily basis and noticing how we react instead of respond. So it's like noticing our own pattern starts to bring us inward because we're focusing on ourself instead of on somebody else or on an outside object. Right. right. And, and then in that process of noticing, you can start to actually discern a thought so like a false thought or a trauma story from something, it really is like a felt sense. Like this knowing, knowing is knowing. I don't know, like there's no word to really describe it, but there's a peaceful place that is your intuition. And when you start to notice your thoughts and like the quality of the thought, like, is it kind of jagged? Does it give me anxiety? Does it like rile me up? Does it have an end goal in mind, that thought? versus a knowing that's just really peaceful, that has no questions, that's like a pure answer. That's the difference. And that knowing lives inside of us as a form of intuition. And then what we start to do is we notice when that one comes through versus the thought. And they're so diametrically different that you start to notice which one you're, you're going to choose to listen to. Right, right. Why is it so hard to let go of those thoughts that have so much energy that pull our attention and not pay attention to that peaceful space and which allows us to make those decisions that are congruent? But I'd like I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah, you you at you named it when you said the thought that has a lot of energy. So the reason it's really hard to let go of a thought is that it's not just like a um a cloud. Like it's not just like some formless piece of air. If it's there in our awareness, it has 
an emotional charge. And that emotional energetic charge lives in our body, which is why so much somatic work is really important to help us release the stories and release the thought because it's not just a thought. And, and I think there's a huge disservice done to us by you. And it's not on purpose, but it's like this accidental, like, Oh, just let go of your thought. Well, I can't cause it lives in my body as a memory with emotion that brings up that energy And because I'm either afraid of it or I'm ashamed of it or it makes me uncomfortable, I'm going to suppress it. Hence, I'm going to keep it in my body and the thought is going to run around in my head. Right, right. Yeah. So that's why it's really hard because it's because it's not that easy. If it were that easy, we'd all be fine by now if it were that easy. So it really it's actually in our body, which is the very last place any of us want to go, especially through any kind of like really strong trauma because our body holds it and and it doesn't feel good. Nobody wants to do things that don't feel good. So it's just, it's normal. It's like, I don't like doing things that are uncomfortable. I mean, I will avoid discomfort at all costs. And that's in a way when I go towards that discomfort and I get through it, I realize it wasn't that bad. I just told myself it was going to be bad. Right. We get locked in that fear of our own emotional experience. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then we can't listen to ourselves. And then we're usually doing behaviors or actions or making decisions that we don't really want to make. Yeah. Yeah. And and we're making them. It's like our desire doesn't want that, but our subconscious is trained to do what we know. And in a way, because of how our brain works and our ego, you know, there's a really good saying in, um, I think it's a Buddhist saying, but basically it's like the, the mind only knows the past. Right. Right. And because uncertainty is somewhat scary, right. It's like really like uncertainty is just not something that our brain likes at all. And so we're we're always trying to avoid certainty, which is why we all have control issues. We're always trying to control right. everything, our environment, our people, because we don't we we've told ourselves at some point that uncertainty is bad. And so mm-hmm. then we default to what we know, even though it hurts us. And it's not our fault. It's it's literally how the brain is wired. But because the brain is neuroplastic, because you can you can really change the way your brain works with the mindfulness, with the meditation, with the noticing, the noticing is, is like a little bomb over things, right? It's just like really soothing to notice and say, Oh, wow, I do that a lot. Like, where does that come from? Like, why am I doing this? And, and kind of exploring it with a lot of self-compassion because our, our natural tendency is to go into shame because Mm -hmm. everything around us tells us to be ashamed of our past, of our trauma, of our addiction, right? There's so much shame. And it's it's actually really, it's really deeply embedded in us energetically. So it's really important when you're noticing yourself and doing a behavior that isn't, you know, it, it's not when you're at your best to be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to have compassion for myself. And I'm going to celebrate that I noticed it because that's a really small step towards changing my habitual pattern. Right. And I I was also, as you were talking, I was thinking about how this is something that takes 
work. You don't just do it once. You don't just know it. Mm -hmm. You practice it. Yeah. It's a daily practice. Like that's the best word. It's a discipline and it's a practice and it becomes second nature and it also gets easier. It's like anything. And it's like anything, right? Like when you start something, you're not good at it unless you're like somehow really gifted or you're a kid that just, you know, at that point you're so neuroplastic anyway, and your body's kind of plastic and you can like figure out what you're good at. But as we become adults, we're like calcified physically, mentally, emotionally, we're just not immediately good at something. So we have to practice and that's the work. Yeah. And that is, that is definitely (laughs) the work. Can you share a little bit about how that journey happened for you? Because usually when we're, we're doing this work, you know, it's, it's because we needed the work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We needed it. So we had to find it or, or we're, we're, we're lost. You know, we feel lost and we're, and we're looking for some kind of answer. And sometimes we stumble upon it somewhere. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. So for me, what really works for me is journaling and it's really cathartic to get the thoughts out of the head and physically move them. And I like to write um, with my hand, like just like journaling. So that's a humongous practice because if we don't get them out of our head, they're going to keep spinning around. They're, you know, kind of like a dryer or a washer, just, it just spins and spins. So journaling, I've learned to find safe people to talk to because Mm -hmm. I was, I was the person and it's still natural to me not to ask for help and not to want to appear weak, right? Especially for high functioning, I don't want to appear weak and and in reality i'm just suffering so much inside so my journey involved a lot of this like noticing because mo- most of my outside world was falling apart and so i couldn't not notice <laughs> right, that right. i couldn't you not try to i'm I not going to pretend yeah. it's not there yeah. <laughs> oh yeah and i like doubled down on my old way of doing things which is kind of hilarious but it's what we do i'm like no this always works so i'm going to do it again and right. again and again and i'm just really stubborn until the point where i was like i'm going to i have to give up on what I'm doing because it's clearly not working. I have to find a different way. It was a lot of introspection. It was a lot of really observing my life and saying, what is going on right now? And, and, and then I started to, you know, that's what really got me on a spiritual path, but because before then I really wasn't, I mean, I was doing right. yoga and that was really helpful to me, but I really didn't understand some of the the principles of it. And I wasn't doing self-reflection or self-inquiry, which is really the number one work. And so when I'll journal, you know, a lot of times it'll be like a thought that comes up and, and I'll, and I'll really have to explore that thought. Like, why do I have that thought? Why do I believe it? Where did it come from? Who did it come from? Because most of the time it's not really mine. Right. And, And then I can see it and I can say, okay, so I can start to work with it and notice how my, how I've actually kind of created a life around that thought. And then I have to take a different action, even if it's really small, like we have to take a different action, especially when we notice something. So that was one, you know, I've mentioned a lot more meditation and asking for help. And asking for help. And yeah, that's definitely a a big one, but also sometimes feels the most riskiest too, is to ask for help. I want to go back to the journaling because I was thinking 
about how when you write and you put pen to paper, how you slow the whole process down for yourself so that you can, I guess, step back a little bit and see it in a bigger picture Mm. and then slow down and ask yourself those questions. Because when we're in that crisis state, it seems really hard to be able to make a decision because we're just kind of frantic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, this is why in in the book at every chapter, I have reflection questions. Like I have Mm -hmm. the questions so that you can journal and also some practices to get kind of to get in the body to do them. And a lot of it is the slowing down because, well, first you can just like write whatever comes through like write it all out, just just get it out. But then to really make sense of it, to make meaning of it, we need to slow down even more. And most of the time, I can't write as fast as what the thoughts are. You bring up such a good point. It's it's that we have to slow down because physically we can't go as fast as the thoughts. Right. <laughs> and, and when we take the time to write them down and look at them with our eyes too and process them and then maybe explain them to somebody, that's like a whole other level of understanding, right? Right. And and they can't run your life if they're unexamined. So what is unexamined runs our lives, period. Absolutely. So that's why, whether it's the journaling and then like finding safe people, like even just listening to other people's stories, like your podcast is like such a great resource for people because that also helps them unlock a little bit of maybe fear around telling a story because they hear other people and they're like, okay, I don't feel so alone because it feels really lonely. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think in, in the beginning of this process of healing, we do. We feel like we're the only ones in the world who maybe, I don't want to say suffer or have some level of shame or, you know, about our suffering, whatever it is. And yeah, to hear other people's stories starts to connect us to the, you know, our humanity, our, our universal, that we're all, we're all in this together. And it's, uh, it's challenging. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. And that's what I learned too, is sharing my story healed me and heals me every time. And sharing my story heals others because of what you just said, that I'm not the only one. It is such a lonely place to be in our trauma. And and it's like, I'm not the only one. And then the more we do that, we start to build a, a form of like really deep inner confidence. And that's when we can start listening to ourselves. And that's when we can really start to get into that place of discernment between a thought, an emotion and intuition when you get that inner knowing that we've all had. And so, you know, if we want to take that practice from journaling and say, think about a time in your life when you had a hunch or you had a gut feeling and maybe it was irrational. You didn't think about it, but you just knew it and you took action on that and it really worked out. And we all have one of those. That's your intuition. And when you can identify it from a past story and you write it out and you start to put yourself in that situation, maybe like with your, like, I always like to emotionally go there as well to some degree like what was i feeling what exactly was happening in that moment that got me there and then you kind of lock in and then and then next time 
you'll notice it again. You'll be like, oh, maybe that's, maybe that's my intuition. Oh yeah. Because it reminds me of that time that I remembered. And we can do the same thing for like (laughs) all the times we didn't listen to our intuition. And I laugh because everything of like the worst things ever that happened to me or when I didn't listen to my intuition and I can pretty much like identify every time. And so now when I get kind of like the danger signal that it's my personal way of knowing, now I know to listen because I went back in my past and I was like, oh, all these times went bad. So this time I'm going to listen. And, and this gets me to another question because I want to I want to talk about your book because um, I love the title, Productive Intuition Connecting to the Subtle. And I think that when you get past that initial overwhelm, kind of step out of the lostness and you start to get direction, this is where paying attention to the subtle reaps huge benefits because we start to follow our spirit. Yes. And it's subtle. I mean, it, it's all subtle. It's all subtle. So it goes back to the noticing. And if the practice of noticing becomes second nature, the subtle isn't so subtle anymore because you're tuned into right. it. Yes. W- one of the things that I've noticed in myself as I've practiced mindfulness and journaling, I love journaling too. It's helped me a lot is that as I, I guess, evolve in my own own work, is noticing that some of these things are, they aren't obviously on the surface. Sometimes I have to step back and really just pay attention. And then I see like, oh, okay, now I understand why I was doing that. And that's not really what I want to do. Right. Yeah, that's the practice. And then next time, and, and because you took a step back, you're going to respond instead of react, right? You're going to take a moment and you're going to choose a different response, which is going to change the outcome. Right. Yeah. And then, and then being able to go, well, actually, this is the choice I actually want to make. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And then, and then, and then when you do that and you get, you sort of like get what you want, so to speak, then to me, I feel like it locks in as like a new way of doing things. And the more we go back to that, the more we continue to get the results that we're actually seeking and desiring because we took the time to stop, to notice, and to make a different choice. It's like choice is the most powerful thing that we have is is our choice. But most of the time we're we're reacting because we haven't taken the time we haven't given ourselves the time to make a choice. Right, right. So tell me a little bit about in writing this book, Mm -hmm. what did you want to give to people? Yeah, I wish I had had this book when I was going through my like dark night process, when I was going through my crisis, because I didn't have anybody to talk to that I thought could understand me, especially coming from like, you know, basically committing career suicide where I did. I mean, I just left the best position of my life. Like just, it was crazy. I just left and, and I didn't know who to talk to and I felt really silly. And if I had had this book written by somebody who wasn't 
I'm not a spiritual leader, right? Like this is just what I've learned and understood. There's wonderful people in the spiritual community, but I, I didn't have anybody to talk to that looked like me mm-hmm. or that mm-hmm. had a background like me. And what I learned in writing the book was I had to continue to do my work on such a deep level. And I had to learn how important, what I learned is that it was really important for me to understand the mechanism behind things. So that's why I had to like do so much research into the science. And the more I did research into like, you know, whether it was quantum physics or our neurobiology, the more I was amazed at how obvious it seems that we have this intuition. And so then I got really excited about why well, I need to tell people how to do this. And so here are the practices and here are some other resources and um, here's the science and here's some of my stories of how I did this. And, and so really in a way that the book aims at helping somebody who might be in going through something like this, um, going through that lost period, which we'll all, I'll have another lost period. I'm sure it's going to, you know, it's going to sneak up on me at some point, (laughs) but I'll be resourced. And that's really what my hope and, and wish is for the book that it offers resources to somebody who's like, man, things are just not working anymore. I'm not the same person that I was or who I thought I should be. And I don't really know how to talk, how to like who to talk to. I just need some answers that are also really practical. And that's why I called it productive intuition because I didn't go become a monk when I woke up. I actually right. went back into the business world and I work in private equity and like I show up as a very whole person. I'm very whole. I'm not divided in myself anymore. And so I can have a spiritual conversation with somebody or I can talk about finances or well, it, it, I don't have to choose who to be. I can be all of myself and therefore I can do anything I want because I know who I am now. And it's not a title and it's not a role. It's my values and work is, I have an issue sometimes with the word work because it doesn't feel like work. It, it just feels like discovery. The more I discover myself, the more authentic I am. And honestly, I have so many authentic relationships because I'm not hiding who I am anymore. Right. And I think so many people when they're, when they're struggling, the self is so divided and pulled in so many directions because we don't know how to listen to our gut. And, and so we don't know how to listen to our authentic self. And we're pulled in all these weird directions by either society rules that are written by somebody else thoughts, you know, from early childhood, whatever it is, it's all pulling us apart. And we can't feel whole and we need the process to, to get there, to, to find it, to get whole and, and connect to ourselves, to be authentic and in our bodies as a whole person. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And one of the practices, and it's actually the, the epilogue in, in the book, and I have a, a masterclass in the summer coming out about this, is the process of going back into our past and extracting the gift from a situation that we thought was quote unquote bad, right? Because that's also how we get trapped in the mind is we've assigned a certain meaning to something that happened and that meaning is bad. So it's another like cage. When in reality, when we go back 
into that past situation armed with you know, certain techniques and like being in a safe space. And we go back in and we re-experience it compassionately and objectively and question ourselves, what was my motivation? Not why did I do this? Because that'll just spin the mind out. But like, what was I trying to get out of this? And then when you reflect in a meditative space, what did I actually get? Like, what was the gift that is such a powerful way to completely reprogram a story and you change it and you heal it forever because now you're the hero, not the victim. And I think that talks so well to the neuroplasticity of the brain and how much we can really change how we experience the world by using some of these techniques and these ways to shift our whole thinking and shift our feeling about it as well. Yeah. And then you shift your action and then your reality changes. And then you suddenly recognize how much of a creator you are. Like whether you know it or not, we are always creating always. And and that's a big responsibility And it's not something that's really easy to digest fully because it goes back to the choice and it goes back to the noticing and it goes back to the response. And so I don't want to overwhelm. I'm excited about the potential for people to recognize how much more control they have when they slow down and when they find the intuitive space whether it's the gut or the heart or, you know, there's so many different ways of getting there. And thinking of it as an ally, thinking of it as the one that is there for you is within you and just anchoring there and and kind of that's your ally. That's how you want to live your life because that feeling of peace or joy or bliss or wonder, that's our natural state. It's not our natural state to be stressed out or anxious or upset or enraged like that's not our natural state. Even biologically, that's fight or flight. That stressful state breaks our body down. So it technically is logically not our natural state. Right. Neurochemically, joy and bliss is our natural state. So how do we get there? Absolutely. Adapia, thank you so much for coming on. I usually like to ask one question of my guests before they go. And it's if you could say one thing to someone out there who's listening, maybe they're struggling today, what would you tell them? I would say take a moment if you can and try and like sit with yourself, maybe put your hand on your heart and just feel, put your mind in your heart and, and feel that knowing that's your knowing. That's a safe, safe place. And that's the moment that is the most important one for you, because that's like the only moment that we have is that present moment. So if you can go there and find that knowing, find your heart, find that's your home base. And every time life throws something at you, go to home base. And 
everything, I, I, it's such a cliche, but everything's going to be okay. It really, really is. You're so supported. You're so supported. And, and even your podcast, Wayne, is a safe space for people. So thank you for, for creating that space. Oh, thank you. So how can people find you? If they want more information, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, it, probably the best place to go is productiveintuition.com. That'll tell you more about the book. There's a little bio about me. There's an ebook there if you want and a chance to buy it if you're interested. But that will give you more information uh, about me and this book. And I really hope that if you choose to get the book, that it helps you and is a resource for you um, now and, and for the rest of your life. Thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. Thank you, Dwayne. My pleasure. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. And if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast and you find it valuable, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. That really does help get the podcast a lot of exposure and helps people find it. And join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join, and you can continue the conversation online there. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day and I will talk to you on the next episode. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.